Summer uh, is here. Summer is here. Alleged. No, it's here. It was hot officially. Last week. Officially, it's officially been warm. Here. You know, I'm I'm okay with it not being 900 degrees. So you know, I'll take yes. a summer starting with the with the 80s. And yes. Well, stick and, in there. And for our listeners not in the northeast part of the U.S., this week we've experienced something typically reserved for our friends in the western United States, and that is wild wildfire smoke. Um, Melissa and I were just lamenting that fact and rejoicing in in the sense that uh, as of today, it seems to be clearing out a little bit. So thanks, Canada, for that lovely gift. But we're, you know, we're surviving over here in the Northeast Mid-Atlantic area. We are. And <laughs> we are excited to uh, bring you this episode yes. to really dive into the interview process, you know, how that works today and how that's changed over the last couple of years, you know, how to prepare yourself for the process, how to really uh, think through your answers, and then, you know, how to make that a 360 degree process. What should you be asking in the interview process? So we tagged in our experts at Copland, Keebler, and Wallace. Uh, If you're not, not familiar, they're a leading club industry recruiting and consulting firm. And they've been a longtime CMAA education partner. Yep. So we were thrilled to welcome back to the podcast uh, two of their principals, Kurt Keebler, CCM, and T- Tom Wallace, CCM, CCE, ECM, uh, to talk through what they're seeing and um, what that preparation. And, you know, I was really excited to, you know, take this to the next level with our ongoing um, topics about really career development. And we know that mm-hmm. that's a question that we've gotten from a lot of our listeners. So hope that you enjoy this episode. Well, we are thrilled to welcome back to the podcast, uh, KKNW's principals, Kurt Keebler, CCM, and Tom Wallace, CCM, CCE, ECM. They have been frequent guests and contributors to the podcast in the past. And as we dive into the topic that is probably near and dear to most of our listeners' hearts right now, which is advancing their career. And so we're talking today about acing the interview and what you should be thinking about as you start that process, how interviewing has changed, and what questions you should be using um, to make just really a 360 interview and, and use it as an opportunity to learn about the club as well. So Kurt, Tom, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Melissa. Nice to see you. Our pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us back. Well, I know it's early summer, but I hope you guys have both uh, gotten a chance to be outside a little bit. Hey, yeah, I live well, in Florida. I'm outside all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Cleveland, so I get like 30 or 40 days of nice weather. So we're going we're gonna to take it all in. You got that many this year? Well, I'm, I'm upsiding it a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I like that optimism. So, you know, the interview process itself has kind of changed. You know, we've talked about the medium kind of changing and seeing a lot of um, clubs and companies really starting to lean on that virtual model, doing more pre-screening at the front side of the interview process for all of their positions. Um, And, you know, we certainly, you know, have changed how we hire in terms of, you know, you probably would have done a telephone screening, but now you can really use Zoom or something like this median to get really a, a fuller picture of the individual that you're interviewing. So, Kurt, I'm going to throw this to you. What should club managers be thinking about as they're starting the process of interviewing? 
You know, great question, and you're 100% right. It really has changed in the last two and a half, three years with, uh, you know, our natural now is, can we Zoom <laughs> to to uh, interview you, which I, you know, I used to think, oh, that was going to be really nice one day when we could actually see who it is that we're talking to, and now it's, what do you mean you don't Zoom uh, if somebody says they don't do it? You know, I think, Melissa, it's it's a great question. You know, just like an in-person interview, being aware of your surroundings and just being prepared almost exactly the same way you do this if this was an in-person interview is something that we recommend candidates consider. You know, folks that aren't, you know, dressed the way they would be in, an, in a uh, formal in-person interview usually get marked down. Uh, I can tell you the backdrop of, and as I'm looking at my own backdrop and wondering if it's way too busy, uh, but you know, considering what the backdrop is, is critically important. So, and it's hard to look into a, a uh, screen or a mini camera somehow and to keep everybody's attention, but you know, all of those same things, just as if you could imagine sitting in front of somebody is is really what we recommend and a whole bunch of nuances relating to that. And Tom, I'll let you pick it up from there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably the biggest mistake is it's a, everyone gets a little too casual on Zoom. You know, dress like you're in person, sit and look at the TV screen or the monitor like you're into the camera, like you're looking into a person's eyes make that eye contact as best you can, but practice it. You can turn on your Zoom or your GoToMeeting and you can see what you're gonna look like. You could see what happens if you lean back, you could see what happens. You can even Zoom with a friend and have them tell you, you know, how's this sound? Where, where should I have my hands? The other thing is hand placement. This is, this is okay. Sometimes in person, it's really distracting on a screen. So, you know, holding your hands, putting them down in front of you, not holding a pen, tapping a water glass. Uh, it, if you have a glass, you know, it's not bad to have a bottle of water, but it's nice to just have a glass of water that you, instead of, uh, it just looks a little more professional. All those little things just really come into, it's a lot of the nonverbal stuff that uh, during Zooms that uh, really shine the light on someone. Love that. So get the haircut, you know, wear the nice shirt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, practice, make sure you know what you're gonna look like, make sure you put on what you're gonna wear when you practice so you know what that's gonna be like. And as best you can, try to have that eye contact and, and at least make sure you're connecting with one or two people on the screen in some way, shape or form. And you know, I'd say, Melissa, perhaps just like we're going through right now, yeah, making sure that you've got a good internet connection. If, if you consistently have problems with connectivity, go someplace else and you know get a better connection out there there's nothing that's more distracting than having poor internet connectivity the screen freezing and somebody is still talking during a uh, an interview is really annoying and and off-putting and i can tell you there have been times when you you try to counsel or coach a search committee or even one of us to get through it without taking that into account. But then you think, man, you know, do you always have internet connectivity? And, and when somebody says, yeah, it's pretty poor, well, you should have planned for this better and gone someplace where you know you're gonna have good internet connectivity. That's a big deal. And, and I would tell candidates, how you handle the disruption will say a lot. 
about yourself and if you go into a full panic mode or you show, you show stress about it versus uh, if you're going to be a club manager, you're probably going to have something go wrong every 25 minutes every day. So <laughs> you might as well uh, show your skills and, you know, apologizing, asking for a reconnect, asking for five minutes to do whatever you need to do to get into a better position. Again, like Kurt said, let's test that the day before. And if you know you've ever had spotty Internet, uh, find someplace else uh, to be for that day and for that that hour interview. Tom makes a good point there, Melissa, because there are times when it's the, the search committee that uh, has the spotty internet. I just went through that a couple of days ago and it was awful uh, from the search committee. And I'm, I'm talking to the candidate and, and he's, he's just fine, it, but he was clearly frustrated and it showed on the uh, screen, which didn't help his cause. And obviously he was, he had worked hard to be ready, but you know, as Tom noted, how you react to that, you know, we we have to react to stuff all the time. And his reaction was not very good. Absolutely. Being prepared for that unexpected, it'll certainly come up. We talked about uh, dogs barking and pipes breaking, and, and I'm sure those things are happening during interviews too. Um, certainly when you do get into the group style interviews. Um, I've got my dogs uh, ready to queue up here in a minute. So yeah, yeah. I love the dogs. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Tom, I'm going to throw this to you first. What's your favorite interview question? Well, I have several. I always like to ask a, a candidate to tell me about their background and is and but more importantly, tell me about some folks that they've recognized as being highly talented and how, what did they see in them and then how did they develop them and mentor them over their career? And almost always, I think it's neat if people could just, you know, my favorite answer to that, I'll go ahead and give it away is, you know, gosh, it's like picking a favorite child or a favorite pet. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've, I've done, I've mentored so many people. That's what I want to hear. But then I like to hear what it is they saw in them that made them want to invest more time into them. And then uh, even if they're not in the club space anymore, you know, are they still in contact with them? Where are they? I think the best and brightest leaders today regardless if they stay on the same path as their mentor, uh, you still stay in touch with them and grow them and help them. Uh, that's one I always, I think it tells me a lot about them. Uh, and, and then the other thing I, I like to ask them just to is, you know, what, when was the last review you, you received and what were the things that you were told you needed to continue to work on? Uh, I ask that question for several reasons because everybody always says they work too much when I ask them, you know, what the, what they need to improve on. Uh, I, I want to know because if they answer that question, they may they may assume at some point I may actually see that review. So I want to know what it is that their current boss or most recent boss said they needed to improve on. I like to just hear that, and then if uh, they give me a couple of those, I dig in a little bit and try to find out what they've done, you know, what caused them to be lacking there and what they've done to kind of improve on that. Those are a couple of my favorites. Kurt? Great questions. Yeah, you know, and I, I hate to give these away, Tom, but um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that I find, and this is most clubs, not every club out there, but member-owned equity clubs, you know, when I've got a candidate sitting there with me in the search committee, I will often ask or or pose a question something like this. 
look, we're all sitting here trying to figure out whether or not you would be a good fit for this club. Hopefully you're sitting there trying to figure out whether or not you're a good fit for this club. What in your mind constitutes a good fit? What's that look like? And you know, I'm wanting to know whether they understand what success looks like and how they analyze the nonprofit board governance issues. How do you relate to a rotation of board members? How do you set annual goals and objectives? You know, how do you align all the things that in most clubs are misaligned uh, in a, to a much better degree? So that's one I like to see how thoughtful they are in that type of uh, answer when they're on the spot. You've got anywhere from seven to ten sets of ears and eyes uh, watching or listening to your every you know movement at that point. I also always like to ask a question to it's something like this. You know, clearly something has gotten you into the business. Has you coming back for more? Has you you, you sitting here today putting yourself through this whole? Uh, exercise. What are you singularly most passionate about in this industry? And if you're selected for us, how are we going to benefit from that passion? The second half of that question is obviously all of us in this business who take our job seriously and take the title and responsibilities that go along with it have to reach for the uh, uh, Tums bottle every once in a while. What gives you your greatest amount of heartburn? Something you have to deal with. You can't procrastinate much. You can't download it to somebody else. You've got to own it and deal with it because of the role that you're in. What is it, and how do you deal with it? I, you know, I like to see how they how they prioritize both of those uh, negative and the positive. You know, Tom noted every once in a while, yeah, the, the heartburn is all the amount of uh, hours I put in. Well, okay, what did you do to try to improve uh, out there? So always something that's of interest. That is a great question. I love that. What what gives you the best heartburn? Heartburn. I think I, might, I think I might have to steal that. <laughs> These are all great uh, things to think about, but I wanted to touch on, obviously, that the interview can be just as valuable for the candidate to gain insights into the club. Um, obviously, it's, it's existing team members and culture. What are your must-ask questions that candidates uh, should ask their interviewers? Yeah. You want me to go? Yeah, I, I always go right after kind of how they go about <clears throat> building their team. Those are just my go-to questions. I want to know how they recruit, how they select, how they orient, how they retain great employees, what their track record is for, uh, and you know, people from the inside getting opportunities to grow within the company. I want to know how I, I get feedback if I'm hired, uh, how I'm able to give feedback. If I'm hired, I want to know those kind of things, and I want to know if they're an employer of choice. You know, if you if Acme Country Club hires me, uh, who are we competing with? Who 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 are the clubs that we're competing with for talent? And if people rather would rather work there, why is that? Is it because they have a they pay better, they they develop better? What are the things that uh, if you're not the employer of choice in that area, what are the things that are keeping us from being that? I think those are. Those are kind of the questions I'd want to make sure I'm joining a great team. I think all the other stuff kind of works itself out if you're working on a great with a with a great team with a great leader. Um, th so those are the questions I'd ask. And yeah, Kurt, I, I want to get. I just wanted to ask Tom a follow up question, if that's okay. Um, yeah. You know, is there is there an opportunity for an interviewer? Um, 
to look at the track record of their previous, um, you know, the person who's held that role prior, or just to kind of see what's the turnover rate at, um, at the club to add some evidence to the question about culture, perhaps. And I might be taking Kurt's thunder here, but that's another question. You know, <laughs> tell me about the person. You know, tell me about the person I'm replacing. Where are they? You know, and what happened? Why, if they, if it was a short period of time and they're no longer there, and you know how that gets people get cut it off if it's a, if they can't really answer. But that tells you something. I, I've had candidates that that ask, you know, can I talk to the person who I'll be replacing? And I think that it, whether or not they allow you to do that probably tells you a lot about how they feel about the club. But it also could be that maybe they were, you know, not the right fit for the job. But I, but I would think, again, great organizations really don't like to hide anything. They'll tell you what happened as best they can within the, the, the black and white of the law. But I would, I would ask those kind of questions. You know, who am I replacing? What's your track record? Uh, you know, what would be my two-year, three-year, five-year plan? I remember when I was a GM, I used to, when I had to hire an intern, they'd say, where will I be in three years? You know, and it, that, that really puts the pressure on you as a manager to make sure you're developing them because they're telling you in three years, if I'm still in the same position, I'm either gone or I'm going to tell you, you failed me and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be frustrated. So uh, I think all those questions nowadays are expected from uh, managers at clubs. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think you should ask all those questions, Captain. Yeah, and I I would uh, follow up with uh, similar. Yeah, I, I want to, I, I would tell you in most every case, we have already shared with the candidate what the turnover history has been at the club and, and so on. So I think one of the things we I hope do pretty well is to be very candid with folks. You know, not everything's always, you know, rosy and, and peachy that somebody's coming into, and we want to make sure that they clearly understand, based on what we've learned from a club, is going to be important prioritized uh, goals and objectives and so on. So most times I know that. I think it's still important to ask that question so you get it directly from the horse, not just from us who are conveying it from the horse in our due diligence efforts, but really important. What does a first year successful outcome look like? What will I have achieved in order to make sure that you're all happy with my performance? And is it realistic? Uh, you know, how do you handle transitions from, you know, this board to the next board to make sure that we don't reinvent the wheel with every successive board or every successive committee? How do we memorialize goals and objectives. What are the master goals for the organization this year and how do those cascade down to set goals and objectives for committees and for me and the leadership team that you've uh, engaged to, to run the operation? Those are all the kind of things that I'm interested in having them ask. Uh, you know, one of my favorite questions actually came from Joe Crin, who you, you may have had on this uh, podcast in the past. And I placed Joe at Farmington years ago, done a fabulous job there. But one of his questions uh, in the uh, interview with, with the, the president of the club is, how do I disagree with you? Which I thought was really, really insightful. Because, you know, it's one of the things that we don't talk about enough up front. And some people, you know, want you to think that everything they say is gospel and don't ever challenge or disagree with me or you're disloyal or such. 
you know, others, uh, and, and I just find it really helpful to lay that on the line right out, right out of the gate. So, you know, if I disagree, is that okay? And what does that look like? Because I don't want to disagree with you and have you become disenchanted with me and my performance out there. So if you've got that individual, in most cases, the president or the incoming president sitting in the room and at some point in those interviews, and it's a good question to pose to them. I think that's great. And it's always just a good reminder that the interview process is a mutual process, even if uh, some employers don't maybe lead with with that. But I think you can glean from asking those kinds of questions beyond just, you know, what is the salary? Where, when am I starting? What is sort of the basic questions if they are open to that kind of um, conversation and relationship with their team? Catherine, yeah. I, I might interject that if a candidate, and again, I'm giving you secrets here, um, but Please. Tom, I think thinks the same way, but if a candidate in reaching out to us or somebody on our team, if their first question is, how much does this pay? They probably aren't a candidate for us. Uh, mm. If that's they're prioritizing things right off the bat, you know, I would tell you, I don't think they're prioritizing the right things. Now, at some point, we got to have that conversation. Sure. Because we don't want to... We don't want to get so far down the line that somebody falls in love with the position or a club falls in love with the candidate only to find out that there, you know, there's a, a grand canyon between the expectation of uh, each side. But if that's what somebody leads off with, it's kind of the kiss of death. <laughs> well, and that's a good point, too. It's reminding me because we've done some great work um, individually and as a team over at CMAA headquarters on um, team development and culture and all of that. And as part of that process, we were able to do um, a series of activities to help define our core values. And I'll say that that process was incredibly illuminating for me personally and professionally. Um, but it sounds like it that's something that candidates should be going through too. Um, if there's a career lens on that, or if you're just sort of discovering this as a whole, um, but if you're leading with what is my salary, okay, your what core value is is aligned with that, and where's going to be the best fit for that? And you know, can I can I give you one more? And, and as you're talking, it reminds me. And Tom, you jump on this too. But you know, one of the things that we find really helpful is that self-awareness and objective uh, judgment when it comes to, you know, why do you really want this job? Yeah. And if somebody's response is, well, this is the next right stage of my career, I get that. But if I'm the potential employer, you know, I realize that this is the right next stage for your career, but how's that going to help me, uh, the, the potential employer? And I want somebody to be thinking, you know, here's what, you said you're looking for, here's what I can bring to the table to help solve that pain, if there is pain, or to help address or enhance out there. The other side of this that I don't think gets, it's getting more time and attention, but you can be the best professional fit in the world to a role, but if you personally don't align with living in the area or you know, half of your life that you're not at work isn't fun, and if you haven't thought about that for you and or your family, you know, I think it's a big miss um, objective judgment piece or self-awareness piece. You got to know that the personal side's got to make as much sense as the professional side. So, Tom? Yeah, no, I agree. I think folks today, 
and and there is a it seems like it's really the younger generations they really want to make sure they're a good cultural fit first and foremost they they i think they assume the dollars will be there because at the end of the day as kurt said if there's a big if there's a big gap they're probably not going to come work but they really want to make sure culturally they fit in with the team they fit in with the leader they fit in with the core values of the company they understand there's a culture to every team there's a member culture at a club and then there's a team culture and i think younger folks getting into the industry are understanding if the cultural fits right and the leader is the right kind of leader it'll all work itself out but if they try to shoehorn themselves into a culture that doesn't feel good to them because they're going to make a lot of money or the gm that they're working for has a great reputation and uh, they want to leverage that those are the wrong things you know you you want to be if you can't be additive to that culture uh, there's no sense in you going there because even if you're making more money than you ever thought you would eventually someone's going to be unhappy either you or your leader such great advice you know you're get, I, I you guys are giving away the secrets to interviewing here so you know this is the question we get from a lot of our mid-management professionals who are looking to step up into that next role looking for that gm position or really, you know, looking to get out of their entry level position in the industry. And that's what advice would you give to those candidates to really shape their answers and their responses and really set themselves apart from other folks that are walking in the door for these interviews? Kurt, I'll go to you first. Okay. <laughs> I would tell you, again, I, I think it gets back, Melissa, to objective judgment and self-awareness. If, if this is a first time a GM opportunity, or even just moving up to a, a you know, much bigger club in a number two role of, of some sort. You know, I'm always interested for people to share with me, you know, what is it that's going to be your biggest learning curve if selected for this opportunity? And how are you going to get your arms around whatever that area of competency or uh, skill set or style you've not had to you either have very little experience in or you've never had experience in and you know frankly what i'm always looking for here i go again i'm giving it away um you know somebody may be moving to a first-time gm role and may never have had to lead the if you've got a full service country club the agronomist you know we get that we're not looking for you to be a second scientist on staff but what i'm always looking for is somebody who has the self-awareness who understand it's all about leadership and you know as we've had speakers I, I forget who the speaker was at a national cmaa conference but he did the whole orchestra leadership uh, yes. uh perspective uh, you may remember him he was really good but you know he talked about the fact that you're the maestro you don't know how to play every instrument in the in the orchestra but you know what quality sounds like and you know part of your responsibilities to make sure everybody's playing at the same tempo you know we're looking for great orchestra leaders in almost every instance, rarely, with some exceptions, rarely do you need to be an expert, uh, you know, financial analyst. You need to have basic good understanding, but you, you're, you know, hopefully you've got a controller that or a CFO who's who's got that. You, have, in most cases, you need to have good understanding of F and B. But you know, we've got F and B leaders out there, culinarians, agronomists, directors of golf out there. Do you know how to orchestrate and set goals and objectives? Is and frankly, rarely do I get that answer as as the one that, you know, they're usually thinking about some specific, well, you know, I don't have a lot of fill in the blank. Um, 
when in fact, you know, I want to know, can you make decisions and lead the group when you've always had a backstop, uh, you know, working under a GM or a, a GM COO or a CEO in the past, now it's going to be yours. It's lonely. And how does the buck stop with you? And how are you going to be able to give us confidence that you can do it? Tom? Yeah, no, I, that's the same thing. I, when you're getting interviewed, especially as a young manager trying to break into that first time leadership position, you know, you're, it's IQ, it's EQ, but I, I really love someone that says, you know, here are the behaviors I have that will help with those experiences I don't have. I've never been the general manager, but I have these behaviors, I have these attributes. Uh, these are the experiences I don't have, but I think these things that I do have in my toolkit will help me the first time I have to run the budget by myself, will help me the first time I have to lead a board meeting by myself. Have I been in there with a, like Kurt said, with a backstop? Yes. Have I seen someone do all these things? Yes. I've never done them myself, but here are, my, here are the things that make me believe I'll be able to do those things. Uh, yes, well, you have to be patient with me. It, I'm not going to be a plug and play GM. I'm, I'm a first time GM, but you're also going to get a level of intensity preparation and uh, a, a fierce amount of positive energy from me that I think you wouldn't get from maybe a more tenured manager. So just being able to articulate the strengths you do have and what strengths you have that will push through some of those challenges you've you would have as a first-time GM. And I think we're also looking for what if you know, what have they done leading up to this to recognize those potential gaps and how have they worked to try to uh, anticipate and address those gaps? Because it, it shouldn't be doing that sitting in an interview for the first time thinking about your gaps. <laughs> that, Kurt, that actually was going to be my next question, which we had not uh, necessarily prepared for, but now it's running through my mind, of what um, would be like hashtag interview fail? for you guys like what is the what are the things that you should absolutely avoid or a crazy story you've heard about about some, you know on either side like a, a club or or a candidate like what what should we not do well and so I, you've I, just said don't think about don't think about the job and your gaps in the middle of the interview right right you know it's it's interesting and i, I i've got a quick real life one time and then i'll let you think about this for a Great. second you know the things that that you, you know, almost always what happens is one of us will be asking questions to begin with hopefully to get a candidate warmed up and then we facilitate follow-up questions with the search committee and then we always leave time for candidates to ask questions of the committee and you know, obviously the almost always the most thoughtful of those candidates with their questions to the committee almost always get the best traction out there. So the thoughtfulness leading into it. We always say, if anybody gets cut short on asking questions, it's gonna be you, the candidate, because we have you know very deliberate timeframes that we put together, because it just can't be an open-ended, we're gonna sit here until we exhaust every, every avenue um, of questioning. So if anybody gets cut short on questioning, it's gonna be you, the candidate. So ask your questions in the most prioritized of order. I once had a candidate who who said something to the effect, well, I've got an aspiring golf professional 12-year-old son. This was his first question. I really think he's got the possibility of getting out on tour. Would it be okay if he practiced on the range every day? 
And that was his first question. And yeah, yeah, the air in the, and he had done a pretty good job up until that point in time. The air in the room was so quickly deflated. And, you know, I'm sure my body language pretty much told the story of, oh my God, what are you thinking? Um, <laughs> about you and your use of the, the club or your family's use of the club and asking about family privileges is, is also, mm. you know, we're not big advocates. There's little that ever comes out positive from having family privileges. And I get the fact it's a time consuming business and your family wants to see you, but you know, rarely do we see a doctor or an attorney or a, you know, business owner who have their family coming in and, and recreating while they're working. And, you know, I, again, I get it's a, uh, it's a, a very time intensive business and always has been, but those are two fundamentals that I see really problematic at times. Oh, that is interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I've, I've heard, you know, different cases at different clubs, but to think about, well, would you bring your family to another kind of job? Um, no. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, that's not a good lead in. Yeah, I think mine are more the basic things. I, the leaning back, the, the crossing your legs and leaning back like you're all friends here. And, you know, the, the chewing gum, the cologne, the being dismissive of one group of people in the room, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, tennis players versus golf pros or you know, golf, the golf group, just not engaging the whole group. I, I think sometimes people have a tendency to go to the people that they find similar to them. Mm -hmm. uh, but if someone on the, the committee feels left out or not pulled in by a candidate, they don't have a chance. Uh, right. So you really have to make sure you're engaging with everyone. And um, it, the other thing I see is if someone if doesn't agree with a question from a, a search per, a person on the committee, uh, kind of digging in, and you know, kind of going going tit for tat with someone, which is never good. And it's like, just listen. But they can have their opinion. You can have a, your own. Uh, maybe that would be something to talk about once you're hired, but maybe not in the interview. So yeah. But I, I see Kurt's Kurt's uh, issue has popped up not that frequently, but every once in a while, someone just comes out with a doozy like that to keep going, and it just kind of sets sets the day in a bad in a bad uh, way. Yeah. I think you know, what you just talked about, Tom, if, if there is one that's somewhat consistent, it's somebody who doesn't look the whole group in the eyes at some point regularly during their responses, or they only respond to the person who asked the question. And mm. there are times when, you know, I'm starting out asking questions and I'm usually sitting fairly, or all of us are sitting fairly close to the candidate and the candidate will only look at me and eventually I just put my head down and and don't look at them so that they get the message. And even then right. they don't get the message. But you've got to get everybody in the room engaged. And if if that's that's a somewhat consistent challenge at times for people to do that. They're or they're looking at a spot on the ceiling above the above the group and just never connect. And that's always a turnoff. Well, and, and it's like the first um I don't want to say test, that feels kind of test, like test of leadership. This is your this is your audition with this group of people. Can you engage them all? Can you meet them all where they're at? I mean, if you're looking for a leadership position, this is this is a great way to showcase what you can do. Right. Awesome. Well, you guys just always 
have, we love you sharing your secrets. Um, we're so grateful <laughs> and um, with all of your uh, expertise and of course, all of your stories too. So where can our listeners hear more, read more um, from you? Thank you. Well, uh, obviously, uh, yeah, we've got the KKNW Leadership Podcast, which is available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. But you also can go to uh, kknw.com and uh, check out all our most recent articles and things like that as well. And there's a great article on there about how to have success doing an interview on Zoom or uh, GoToMeeting. So a great article on there by Michelle Rickland that might be helpful and appropriate with our conversation today absolutely you know, i'd i'd say as well sorry uh that uh, don't be intimidated pick up the phone and call us um <laughs> you know i i every once in a while I have somebody say you know i was intimidated to call you. you you actually are a normal person once i got to know you um which is hard for me to sometimes see but uh I know I can be semi-intense on certain things, but I think all of us on the team, we want to help people do a better job. And and there isn't, you know, were somebody to pick up the phone and call us and ask us all these questions you just asked us, we'd tell them the same thing. You know, it's well, not like it's a secret. Exactly. And and the the secret is just the the wisdom of your years and, and the breadth of your uh, experience. But for our listeners, we're on video. You can't see us, but I promise you, Tom and Kurt smiled the whole time. They're very lovely. <laughs> so don't feel, don't feel intimidated to call them. We, we really do. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons we, we brought on a Michelle Rickland and other people, we want to give, the, try to help everybody be as ready for their next move as possible. Uh, you never know when it's coming for a lot of young folks. It, they're building towards it. For some folks, it's a midlife change that they weren't expecting. We want to be there for them and help everyone. This is the only industry Kurt, Dick, and I, and most of our team have ever been in. So uh, it's important to us. Awesome. And it's awfully fun when you walk into a club five years later and the candidate and the club members are both happy to see you because it's worked well and, and uh, the fit's been good. And, and That's you know, great. There haven't been any secrets that we hid from somebody or that they've hidden from us. That's great. Well, you guys have so many fabulous resources. So we will, um, in our show notes, uh, link to the KKW Leadership Podcast and hunt down that article and we'll share that as well uh, on the virtual tips. So we can't thank you enough for your time today. Great, great hey. secrets. Nice <laughs> to see everybody. Thank you. All right. Well, Melissa, great job with that interview. You and Catherine did wonderfully. Um, I'm sad that I missed missed it, but I'm glad that I get to listen to it in the editing process oh, because, nice. like you said, there's a lot of great tips and tricks there from our experts at KKW. Um, and, you know, these are always things that we should be thinking about. Even if you're comfortable in your job at the moment, it's important to kind of think about you know, if I did decide I wanted to look for something different, how do I need to be prepared? And and then also, you know, if you're hiring someone, what are some things that you should be thinking about for that interview process? Like you said, Melissa, it's a, really a 360 experience. Um, so just as much as the interviewer is doing the work, the interviewee should be as well. So <laughs> 
definitely good things to think about. Um, we are in the midst of a busy summer here at CMAA, and we have a couple of announcements we wanted to share with our listeners. Obviously, if you've been listening to the last several episodes, you know that we've got a lot of on our plate at the moment. But um, right now, we wanted to draw your attention to a couple of things that are coming up in the near-ish future. Um, we wanted to put in a plug for our Wellness Summit, the Club Wellness Community Wellness Summit, and that will be taking place in July. Um, I need to pull up those dates. Apologies for not having those in front of me. Um, that's but the 15th through the 7th. There you go. Yeah. I knew I was going to say it was the 14th through the 17th, but I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> so the 15th through the 17th of July. And uh, this is the first annual um, wellness summit, and it is directed toward our club wellness community, though it is clearly open to anyone who wants to attend and participate. Um, but this will be an opportunity for folks in the wellness space within clubs to come together. There will be four education sessions, a lot of networking opportunities. There will be a club tour and even a presentation and a reception at uh, one of our local clubs here, Washington Golf and Country Clubs, as well as several wellness activities, because obviously a wellness summit would not be complete without moving your body or your mind in some way um, and really enforcing that idea that wellness is holistic. Um, registration for that has been open, but we definitely encourage you or someone on your wellness team at your club to attend. You can find all of that information on our website at cmaa.org. Just head over to our education tab, um, learn tab, excuse me, and then uh, head over to meetings and events. And you can find all of that information for the Club Wellness Summit right there. And we definitely recommend that you register as soon as possible. Um, they are really hoping to get as many registrants as we can. So get, get your name on the list ASAP. <laughs> Absolutely. And just behind that, we have just opened registration as well for the 2023 BMI Wine and Food Experience. It really promises to be an unforgettable opportunity for any wine enthusiast. Um, and it's going to be set in the rolling hills and picturesque vineyards of Sonoma County. So it's going to be all about education, wine tasting, exploration, exploration. Can't say that word today. Exploration. <laughs> Exploration. And that's going to be October 15th through the 20th. So not only is it going to, um, you know, focus on wine, but uh, you may not know, but Sonoma County, California is also known for its thriving craft beer scene. And it will also work in uh, local beer education. And you'll get a chance to see renowned wine expert, author, and educator Karen McNeil. She's going to be part of the first day of education uh, with a sensory experience tasting seminar and a session on the best Sonoma wines that you could add to your club wine list. So really popular event. So exciting. Um, the capacity for that is limited to 55 participants. And I will tell you, registration is going swiftly. So if it's something you want to go to, head on over to our website, hit that learn tab, hit meetings and events and get more information because you do not want to miss that. And it is a capped capacity event. Um, so, so many great events coming up um, for CMAA uh, this summer and into the fall. So we cannot say, wait to share more with you about our, those. Our uh, meetings and events page is buzzing at the moment. We've got a lot of things open. Registration is, is open for several events. If you haven't signed up yet, definitely do that. 
Um, we don't want you to miss out on one of these great opportunities, not just to learn, but also to network and meet new peers in the club management space. Um, we always try to, you know, do our best to provide that space for you all. Um, Absolutely. I think think that covers all of our big announcements for this episode. Um, But when, you know, talking about that wellness summit um, actually really keys or keys up, (laughs) tease up (laughs) our next episode of the podcast, we will be talking to Lauren Leon, who is a member of the club wellness community and will be participating in the wellness summit. Um, But we're really excited to have her on the podcast and and learn a little bit more about her and what she's up to. Um, But until that point, I think that's everything. Absolutely. I am Alyssa Lowe. You are Kyle Jennings. I am. And this is Let's Talk Club Management. And we look forward to talking with you again next month. Take care, friends. Let's Talk Club Management podcast is a podcast of the Club Management Association of America. Since 1927, CMAA has been the largest professional association for managers of membership clubs throughout the U.S. and internationally. The objectives of the association are to promote relationships between club management professionals and other similar professions, to encourage the education and advancement of members, and to provide the resources needed for efficient and successful club operations. Under the covenants of professionalism, education, leadership, and community, CMAA continues to extend its reach as the leader in the club management practice. CMAA is headquartered in Alexandria, Virginia, with more than 40 professional chapters and more than 40 student chapters and colonies. Please learn more at www.cmaa.org org.